Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. It is Tuesday, November 14th, 2023, and it is indeed a heck of a morning. We are live on the MMA Fighting Twitter space. You can hear the show in its entirety shortly thereafter on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. What's going on, everybody? I am Mike Heck. Hope you're having a wonderful start to the week. We are obviously still in the midst of the hangover from UFC 295. At Madison Square Garden, we have two new champions. We have Alex Pereira, the brand new light heavyweight champion after stopping Yuri Prohoshka in the main event. Tommy Aspinall, the brand new interim heavyweight champion after knocking out Sergei Pavlovich. And it was just a fun card. I felt like the watch party lasted like 35 minutes. It was just one of those cards that was just an easy watch. I know... The the star power of the card was not, you know, maybe where it was for 294 and some of the other events that we've had in the past. But I got to tell you, I don't know if I've had more fun doing a watch party. GC and I just had a blast. It just seemed like it flew right through. And all the main card fights went to a finish. I had a good betting week. Did very well there. It was uh, It was a good time. It was a good time. Benoit Santini is an absolute savage. There's just a lot to like. Diego Lopez, great win there. This guy's going to be someone the UFC is certainly going to be pushing. I know Diego called out for Bryce Mitchell. Probably doesn't get that fight, but love the gusto. Jessica Andrade with a y'all must have forgot type of performance. Just absolutely runs Mackenzie Dern. That fight was really not all that competitive. Probably from about like the three minute and 30 mark of the first round. It was just all on Drage. That was a mercy stoppage by the referee. And it probably should have been stopped on knockdown before that. But it was just a fun friggin' card. It was super fun. One of the best cards of the year in terms of entertainment value. But I know the star power wasn't quite there. Good win for Steve Ursag. Uh, Lupi Godinez, four wins in a calendar year. First female fighter in UFC history to accomplish that with a quote-unquote split decision win over Tabitha Ricci. That fight involved maybe the worst scorecard of 2023, someone scoring at 30-27 for Tabitha Ricci. And as someone that was holding a Tabitha Ricci plus 140 ticket, even I was like, I don't even want this if I somehow win this one because I would absolutely not deserve it. Um, Matusha Rebechki, armbars Roosevelt Roberts, looked like a man who 
was the biggest favorite on the card. Incredible fight. And I don't think this is going to get enough love based on the storylines following this event. But what a friggin' battle between Nazim Sadikov and Slava Claus. That was one of the be- – honestly, to me, that was one of the 10 best fights of the year. It might even be better when I go back and, like, start rewatching these for award season. But that just immediate reaction was one of the 10 best fights of the year. Ends in a majority draw. It was incredible. And I was okay with that. A lot of people just hate draws. I don't mind them. That was incredibly fun. Jared Gordon, what a moment for him. Knocks out Mark Matson in the first round. Be interesting to see where Mark Matson goes from here. John Casaneda, Kyung Ho Kong. Good win for Casaneda. Good win for Josh Van. Jamal Emmers. Sucks that he missed weight, but what a performance from him. His first finish in over three years. His first finish since joining the UFC roster which is kind of crazy to think about. So, yeah, hell of a night, hell of a fight card. There'll be a lot to talk about. We will have a ranking show later on today. I have a feeling we'll be divided on some of the topics coming out of this event, but let's see what you all have to say in regards of what happened on Saturday. UFC 295, we will begin with Ani. Ani, you're up. What's up, man? Thank you for warning, Mike. <clears throat> Excuse me, uh, pardon for the voice, a lot of vodka last night. Uh, how are you doing? It's good to talk to you. Same here, my man. What's on your mind? So um, I have two things. Again, you know, it's trademark me being drast- me addressing drastically different topics, but uh, I'll make sure to be coherent. So the first thing uh, that I want to talk about is... So, you know, we watch a lot of fights. We are just excited, like absolutely excited. And, you know, fights like Max Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez or Volkanovsky versus Makachev won or like Alex Pereira versus Yiri Prohaska. You're excited for such fights. And then there are fights that you're absolutely terrified of. Fights like Shogun versus... Ihor, was it? Ihor Poteria. And then you have fights like Frankie Edgar versus Chris Gutierrez, Frankie Edgar versus Marlon Vera. You know, those fights you're terrified of because you might, you're scared that something bad might happen. But then there are very few fighters that actually make me feel nervous for them because I like them so much. You know, whenever I watch Max Holloway fight, I'm just nervous, man. See, I love watching Max Holloway fight, but I get so damn nervous that I don't even want to look forward to his fights. You know what I mean? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Like, it's so damn nervous. Like, the same thing with Dustin Poirier fights as well, because both of them are my favorites. But quite recently, I think uh, from the past two or three years, I guess, I've been really, really uh, high on Tom Aspinall. And I really like Tom Aspinall. And I had the opportunity to meet him and have like a 15 to 20 minute conversation with him uh, in Manchester last year uh, in April 2022 for, you know, for the for the love of MMA event where I also was able to meet GSP, Bisping or whatnot. So, like, I just developed this, you know, you, you just develop this really fond liking towards a mixed martial artist. You just want to root for them that you become so damn nervous. I know you're a journalist, you're from the MMA media, and you're not supposed to show bias or a liking towards uh, an MMA fighter, but 
Was there ever an MMA fighter before a fight started? You feel, oh my God, I'm so nervous for him. You know, when I say nervous, it's not because something uh, like something horrible might happen. It's just that you just like him so much that you're nervous. You know what I mean? That's my first question. For me, it's Dustin Poirier, Max Holloway, and Tom Aspinall. And oh my God, I just, I was just so happy for him. And uh, the second question, uh, drastically switching gears. Um, so it's it's with regards to <clears throat> Francis Ngannou. Well, he won. Like as Ariel said, he won. He has won the sport, and he's just doing so well for himself. But we need to be real over here. When he knows that there's so there's much more money in doing boxing fights. And there's absolutely nothing with PFL. If you think about it, PFL is just, I mean, does PFL, do you think PFL would do anything for Francis Ngannou at this point? Like, I think with the performance that he had against Tyson Fury, I think he can just be a boxer and not even think about mixed martial arts anymore. Like, even if he has to think about mixed martial arts, he has to go back to PFL where there's no one, really. So how how does this add up? And how does this add up? And I know PFL is all about, there's a pay-per-view division. And if you want to talk about pay-per-views, uh, do you think Francis Ngannou versus, Francis Ngannou is a draw, but Francis Ngannou versus someone in PFL, do you think that will be a draw? Do you think PFL would do it? Because I just don't understand how this would go in the long run. Because I just feel Angano can do so much more in boxing and boxing only rather than PFL MMA. That that's what I had. I just can't seem to understand what's going to happen with the PFL thing. Nothing against Angano. It's just I'm unclear. That's it. So these are the two points that I wanted to raise. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. Um, I don't know. Even the PFL is basically saying like we got nothing for Francis right now. We have nothing that's enticing, and they are on the same page as the rest of us that the only actual MMA fight that makes any sense for Francis is John Jones, and we all know that that's never going to happen. And if you were on the fence about whether or not that could happen, if you're on the side of well, there's literally nothing stopping this fight from happening, which is absolutely true. Just go watch Dana White's. UFC 295 post-fight press conference, and you will understand why that fight will never, ever happen uh, because Dana's not going to let it happen. It's not going to let it happen. And it's incredibly frustrating. But I think PFL has kind of the right idea. They're just going to let Francis do his thing in the boxing world. Francis doing things in the boxing world, at least moving forward now, is going to be a good thing for the PFL. They need to grow their brand. And if Francis has to box in order for that to happen, then that's a good thing for the PFL, is it not? As far as fights goes, at least the PFL's trying. Like, they, they're talking about maybe doing some mixed rules fights. Like, if they do Francis Ngannou versus Deontay Wilder, like, in a cage, in, like, a boxing match with four-ounce gloves, that's going to be massive. That is going to be gigantic. So I think you just kind of go that route and see what happens. But in the meantime, just support Francis because anything good Francis does in the boxing world is good for your promotion. But even the PFL understands there's no fascinating fight. Like there's nobody currently on the PFL roster that is going to generate anything. I do understand the AK Lee, my best friend 
sort of path on this is like just let Francis fight anybody and just let him destroy some some poor guy, which that's not a bad idea either. But at this point, Francis is even beyond that based on the Fury performance. So we'll see what happens there. PFL is going to be super interesting over the next year. We'll see if this Bellator deal goes through. From what I understand, it ain't done yet. Uh, I know some people are reporting that it's done, but from conversations I've had, this ain't done. So we'll see. We'll see how that all pans out, and we'll see if they can make this thing work. We'll see if they can make this thing work. As far as the other question goes, I, I mean, as, a, as somebody who works in the space, the only time I feel nervous is when I'm afraid someone's going to get badly, badly hurt. Like when Dominic Reyes fights Carlos Olberg, yeah, I'm going to be like, oh, shit. Even though that was my Otno pick, I kind of feel like you have to do that fight. I'll be concerned for Dominic Reyes after the, the bad knockouts he's had in his last few fights. But as far as like a certain fighter just nervous for them fighting, not really. Even from like a watch party betting perspective, like I don't really care because I'm betting really nothing compared to what GC's doing. But I would say like the only fighter, like even bef- when I, before I got into the space, uh, I was a big Frankie Edgar mark. Ever since I saw Frankie Edgar fight Tyson Griffin, I was like, this is the dude. Uh, he's going to be a champion someday. People thought I was crazy. And then he went on to become the champion. So uh, I was always a little nervous for Frankie Edgar fights as a fan. But yeah, that's where I was. Let's continue on here. Uh, let's go to Four Corner Sports. Go ahead, Four Corner Sports. Hey, Mike. So. On Saturday, I was at the event, and I got to say, if for those that are inside the uh, um, the chat over here, if you guys never been to Madison Square Garden, I highly recommend it. I've been to a bunch of Nick games, Ranger games, etc. right? Going to this event, and I was bummed out about not seeing John Jones, I got to say, it, it was worth it. it. It was worth it. The crowd was going bananas when, when, when uh, Aspinall knocked out um, – Pavlovich and to see it live I mean this guy really does move like a welterweight I mean the speed of the way that he was able to you know move around um Pavlovich and Pavlovich looked very flat-footed I had to rewatch it on tape to see how it looked like on, on TV but Aspinall is a real deal I think that you know scrap the whole Stipe fight the Stipe John Jones fight I understand John wants it but at the same time that is a bigger fight, in my opinion, um, Aspinall versus Jones to unify the championship as opposed to Stipe uh, versus John. I know John wants to take the fight because he wants to have on his record that he fought the, the greatest heavyweight of all time, but Stipe is way past his prime. I It's just just to have a name on the record. I don't feel like it's not going to be a significant mark. I know people might disagree, but Stipe is not you know where he was a couple years ago when he fought DC. As for... The main event, um, I had met Michael Chandler, and I was able to speak to him briefly. And, you know, I I asked about his pick for the main event, and he says that Alex was going to be able to win as long as he was able to utilize the leg kicks because Yuri is very uh, herky-jerky, and I agree with him. And seeing it there, I thought that Yuri had a lot of openings because of the way that the angles that he was throwing. But, man, Alex is huge in person. The man – it looks like he hits like a truck. And I felt like, you know, in the arena, it looked like it was a good stoppage. On TV, it looked a little bit totally different. I don't know if, it would, uh, if you agree with me or not, Mike. 
but it, I felt like it was a good stoppage, you know, just because of the fact that it wasn't gonna, it wasn't going to get any better for Yuri uh, with Alex on top of him. And then last and lastly, Diego Lopez is, is a superstar in the making. I mean, this guy, I have a feeling that you got to have him for the international for the for the Mexican Independence Day in this year next year, because what he did to pass Sabatini, I was like, oh my god, like in person, it was it was phenomenal. But yeah, great experience overall in person. All right, thanks, Mike. Oh, sorry, I was muted. Um, yeah, I'm glad you had a good time. With Diego Lopez, I even said on the watch party, I'm like, I have a feeling that this is going to be one of those fights that may not be as competitive as we thought. Like, the more I dove into things, because, you know, when you're traveling, you have a lot of time, whether just getting on the plane and being on the plane and all that other stuff, and then you have time beforehand. So you go back and you watch certain fights, you jump on Fight Pass, jump on ESPN+. Plus. And you kind of watch these two, and you go back and watch old fights. And I even said at the beginning of the watch party, I'm like, I have a feeling this is going to be one of those fights that the matchmakers just beautifully match made in order to get Diego over. And boy, was I right. Nailed that one. Um, it was just great matchmaking. The scram- We got that scramble early that we wanted. Thing got back to the feet, and then Diego just booped him. Like, they just... They're able to see things oftentimes that a lot of fans don't. And I didn't, honestly didn't think that way about this fight until probably like four or five hours before it started. And I was like, man, I kind of feel like Diego's just going to go in there and kill this guy. And I even said it right before the fight started, and that's, that's what happened. So, yeah, they got something with Diego Lopez. I don't need to see them rush him. They got something there. But let's just, let's just build them up slowly. You know, nice little step up. I suggested uh, throw him in there with Alexander Hernandez next, a, a veteran, somebody with a name, um, a winnable fight more than likely. I think that's some good matchmaking right there. I had no issue with the stoppage at all. Didn't have an issue with the stoppage of the main event at watching it live. Didn't have it watching the replays. Didn't have it now. And I certainly didn't have it when Yuri himself said that was a good stoppage. That's all you need. That should end the conversation right there. If Yuri Prohashka says he's fine with the stoppage, then everybody else should be fine with the stoppage. The aesthetics of it were terrible. They were terrible. Pereira lands the big shot. He goes for the takedown. He's landing the elbows. You see Yuri's body just go limp and collapse to the ground where Pereira lands in full mount. All of that was just bad, and he was going to get hurt real, real bad if that fight didn't get stopped. So no issue with stoppage at all. Uh, and Tom Aspinall, like you know, like we talked about throughout all of this, if there's one guy that's going to keep John past the Cipe fight, it's well, there's two Francis, but that fight's never going to happen. It's Aspinall. He's the guy that potentially could keep John around for another fight. We'll see what happens. But that was a, that was an incredible performance. Just goes out there and ices Sergey Pavlovich, and we'll see what's next. He needs to defend. If they go back to London before the John Jones Stipe fight happens, which I'm saying, my guess the earlier that earliest that fight happens is probably International Fight Week. You got to throw Tom on that card and let him do his thing, it, whether it's with Cyril Gon or Almeida or whoever. But they got something there. They cannot let him sit out all of next year waiting for John. No friggin' way. 
Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Uh, let's keep this going. Got a lot of people waiting. This is good. Dominic, go ahead. Dominic. Yeah, hello. There we go. What's up, man? What's up? What's going on? Uh, listen, uh, you know, just a couple of questions, a couple of things to say. I like listening to your show. So, uh, uh, you know, I watched the, the fight and, you know, so many of the UFC fights, you know, uh, I guess the leg kicks are such a big part of it. But, man, I was impressed and just crazy. Like, Pereira's freaking leg kicks are so devastating. It's like it just makes me wonder why. You know, is it because he's so big? Uh, uh, you know, his leg kicks, man, just really messed up Prohaska. And I think the thing with the stoppage is, you know, most fans, I, I, I don't know, when it comes to a championship fight, it's kind of like, a lot of people want to see the guy, you know, totally be put out. You know what I mean? Like, give the guy the chance. It's for the belt. You know what I mean? Um, so, I, I don't know. You know, I, I think I agree with the guy that just talked on TV. I, I think it kind of looked bad. But then Yuri said that. But I think Yuri, he seems like such a respectful guy that I think he just said that out of respect for the UFC. Uh, that's just my opinion. Um, but with the Aspinall thing... I really feel like if anybody is capable of giving John Jones a run for his money, it is definitely Tom Aspinall, the way that he is. It's just you can, you can just tell and see how he fights and how strong and how fast he is, just like John. Um, I'm a big Steve Miocic fan, so I kind of understand John wants that fight. And I, I just hope Stipe doesn't get embarrassed out there because, you know, I'm from Ohio and I just I love Stipe. So I don't want to see that happen to him. And uh, 
I guess furthermore than that, two things I wanted to say is I, I seen this thing online about Dana wanting to have a UFC fight at the freaking sphere, man. And I'm like, how the hell is he going to do that? You know what I mean? That would really be something. And uh, then I guess the last thing I want to say is uh, when I was on here last time, I heard the one Ravens fan saying how bad the Browns were, but how about them Browns? So that's all I got to say. Thanks, man. Yeah, they're going to the spear. Dana, that's his mission. And they said he already, they basically already booked it for that weekend. So, and then we got the whole, hey, if you you doubt me, wait till you see what we do here. Um, and, you know, the, like when Dana feels like people believe he can't do something, I mean, just look at Power Slap. We just, it's so terrible and like, it's, nobody cares. Um, but they still shove it down our throats. Uh, this will be the 2024 version, but at least it's a UFC thing. And I'm curious about it. Like, that's going to be a huge deal. That's going to be a very big event when it comes around. Um, so, very cool. Very cool. And again, I didn't have a problem with the stoppage in the main event. I really didn't. I understand the people who spent money and all that. Uh, you want to see a conclusion you could be, everyone can be happy with. Just the aesthetics of it looked really bad. It looked really, really bad. But Yuri will be back, and I have a feeling that's not going to be the last time those two guys fight each other. I feel like that this could be the start of something really special between those two guys. I think we may get another fight, maybe two out of these guys, which would be awesome. I mean, just look at the fate. Like, when Prahashka got into the octagon, just everything that built up to the, to the first punch being thrown was the best it was the freaking best kudos to the ufc kudos to their production team they absolutely nailed that just prahashka staring the daggers through pereira pereira staring daggers right back at him not even blinking the over the shoulder shot over prahashka's shoulder just looking across the octagon and alex pereira who looks like he's ready to get shot out of a cannon it's just it was incredible it was awesome it was friggin' awesome. By the time Mark Goddard gave the final instructions, like I was ready to run through a wall. I could not wait. That was just incredible stuff. Everything was great. Everything was great. And we'll see where all these guys go. Aspinall Jones is the fight I want to see, but I don't think we're going to get it. Viking, go ahead. Hello. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm not good. I I want to I want to ask a question about Mackenzie Dern. So, if I'm not wrong, and if I if I remember correctly, you said on the on to the next one about her that she must go and find some new coach a better coach and better team for her and then she should decide her next fight so do you have do you have still do you do you still have same suggestion for her or not thank thanks a lot mate Thanks, buddy. I don't think I actually said that. Um, we were all curious why Jason Perillo wasn't in the corner. Um, if you watched 
the MMA hour last week uh, with Cheeto Vera. Ruka is closed. But Cheeto also said, like, when they get a new space up and running, that Jason's going to be a part of it. So I don't know if, like, I, I don't know why Jason was in the corner. I have no idea. But Mackenzie just did not look good. She looked terrible in the fight. She got absolutely iced by Jessica Andrade. And I feel like her her title run is gone. Like, it's over. I know she's only 30, and I know there's still time, and I know the UFC really tried to build her up, but they have just they've given her so many chances to get over the hump, and she just can't do it. And these fights aren't even close. They're not close. Rita Rodriguez, outside of like one round where things got a little hairy with the submissions, it was all Marina. Yan Nan, same thing. This was just an absolute massacre. And yeah, it's just a tough night. I feel like she's just kind of Mackenzie's just gonna kind of be in a gatekeeper role for a while. Um, you can still make a very good living doing that, taking tough fights, but I think she's now the Caitlin Chukagian of the 115 pound division. That's what she's gonna be. And there's nothing wrong with that. So she's just gonna have to fight really tough fights now. My suggestion, Lupi Godinez. Let's do that fight. Throw those two in there, and let's see what you got. If Lupi can beat Mackenzie Duran, give her a bigger fight. But Lupi won four fights in a calendar year. She deserves the opportunity. And Mackenzie's a fine fighter. Her one skill is good enough to beat anybody, but at this point, you want to talk about leg kicks and the impact of leg kicks on a fight? Jessica Andrade just leg kicked Mackenzie Duran into another dimension to the point where Mackenzie just knew she was cooked. You could see at the end of the first round, she was backpedaling hard. She did not want to get hit anymore. She did not want to get kicked in the leg anymore. And Andrade just annihilated her. So, yeah. I mean, if she does decide to go elsewhere, yeah, go elsewhere. Go to ATT. Find, like, a, a camp. Find a good team. Just find a really good team that's just going to get you better. Get you better. Because we know what Mackenzie needs to get better. We saw some of that in the Angela Hill fight with her aggression and delivering ground and pound. But the other thing that she needs, she just hasn't been able to figure out, is just getting takedowns. Like classic MMA takedowns. She just doesn't have it. It's the same trick every time. Her singles, her doubles, they look just look so bad. You're not going to win a title like that. You're just not. She's very talented. Like her striking's gotten a lot better, but she had a, just a really tough night. And I don't know if she can really come back from that. She could still get wins in the UFC, but I just feel like outside of a crazy short notice, last second fallout in a title fight, I don't know if we're ever going to see Mackenzie Dern in a title fight. It's tough. It's tough. Uh, Henry, go ahead. Hey, Mike. Yeah, I just want to start this call off by uh, echoing the words of a certain uh, Atlanta resident by just saying, ain't it a damn shame that uh, our boy Johnny Jones is just so damn scared of Tom Aspinall? Like, come <laughs> on, man. We need to see that damn fight. So I'm going to I'm gonna follow Jez rhetoric and I'm going to I'm gonna create that narrative and I'm going to push it because I really want to see that Tommy Aspinall and John Jones fight. And secondly, BS freaking D, man, that guy is a monster. We've been knowing it, but I think, oh, after Saturday, after what he did to uh, uh, Frivola, 
Like, what's the ceiling for this man? And I, I was shocked to know that he's 27, which is even crazier to me, that this guy, he's going to be in some fun fights. And it's always like, lightweight just has these cool, violent fighters, and it always happens to be at 155, and I freaking love it. And uh, also, post-fight interview with uh, with Pereira, when obviously he called out Adesanya, Jamal Hill didn't look too best pleased. And um, to be honest, like, I'm not the biggest fan of Jamal Hill, and I wasn't really sure if the fan base were kind of with me on that one, but it just, it feels like the guy has the world's biggest chip on his shoulder, and he's just, I don't know, there's just a weird vibe about him. Um, I don't know whether it was because of him spouting the misogynistic views around the Dana incident and New Year's Eve and stuff, but yeah, just something about Jamal Hill really rubs me up the wrong way. Um, I don't know if a lot of the fan base is like that too, but yeah, um, that's it for me, really. I mean, look, if you're, if you're Jamal Hill, you would think that Alex calling out Izzy is like a really good thing for you. It's a great thing for you. Look, I don't know who has suffered an Achilles rupture or a tear, but it sucks. Like, it's, it sucks. Jamal ain't fighting until the summer. He ain't coming back before that. And there's no way right now with the role that Alex Pereira is on, that they are going to bench him for eight months. No frigging way. So if you're Jamal Hill and you're going to fight the winner, whoever the champion is at the time, wouldn't you rather fight Pereira or Adesanya? 1,000%. If Izzy beats Pereira, that trilogy is done. And then Jamal Hill will fight Israel Adesanya. Like, that's a huge fight for Jamal. Those are the two biggest fights he can possibly have right now. What's the other? What's the alternative? What's the alternative? And Johnny Walker on January 13th, I'm picking Ankalaev to win that fight, and then he's going to fight possibly Ankalaev? Why would he want that? Why would he want that? He should have been totally fine with that. They're not going to bench Pereira until next summer. They're just not going to do that. He should be thrilled with him calling out Adesanya. To be real. But the longer he's out, the moment the more momentum he loses. Because his momentum was at a sky high when he won the belt. And by the time it's gonna be literally what? It'll be January, July. So what's that? 13, 14, 15. Like 18 months between fights? Like he's really not in a position to really call anything right now. So we'll see. I mean, look, Jamal Hill versus Alex Pereira will be one of the top five fights that I have on that, that I am looking forward to watching. I have so many questions about Jamal Hill. I need to know if he's really good or if he just had a really great night against Glover Teixeira. I have those questions. And if he goes out and just runs over Alex Pereira, I have my answers. The dude is officially the best light heavyweight in the world, if that's the case. But until then, I'm... He's been ranked number five on our rankings, even when he won the belt, and he hasn't moved an inch. He has not moved at all. So I want to see that fight, but he's not really in a position to say anything because he's out. He's hurt. It's off the table right now. Let's go to J Mac. What's up, J Mac? Like, um, so, uh, 
first of all, I want to say somebody that's not uh, happy to hear that um, Pereira called out Adesanya is uh, Jan Bohovic. <laughs> yeah, he said that uh, he's, he's weak, pathetic. He shouldn't be calling him out. Um, I like to call out because, like you said, uh, Jamal Hill is going to be out for quite a while. So I don't see him coming back anytime soon. And they need to keep the division rolling. So, but uh, who do you think that the UFC will match up with Pereira next? And also, uh, who do you think – do you think Tom Aspinall waits for jo- – uh, not John Jones, but he's definitely going to have to defend because John Jones isn't going to fight for at least another year. And who do you think they match up Tom Aspinall with? And uh, one more thing, what did you think about Dana White totally uh, uh, saying that he would not do the cross-promotion uh, with um, Francis? And do you think his moniker of I put on the best fights, I put on the fights that fans want to see is starting to kind of – you lose its luster now. All right. Thanks, Mike. I'll, uh, I'll listen to your answers on that. We know that fight's not happening. Dana is not going to risk John losing to Francis. He's not going to. He's not going to. And Francis probably beats John at this point. Like, who the hell knows? I don't know. But Dana has enough doubt after watching what Francis did against Tyson Fury. Not that they're the same sport. But he has enough doubt now that those – that whole thing of, hey, listen, if John fought Francis instead of Cyril gone, the same thing would have happened. We didn't hear that on Saturday. We did not hear that on Saturday. So, look, we know we're not going to get it. The UFC is not going to do that. They are not going to risk their guy going in there and losing to Francis Ngannou and boosting the PFL. It's not going to do it. And you know what? Devil's advocate, they don't have to. They are printing money left they're printing so much money they did a freaking 12 million dollar gate at msg on saturday with a card that for the hardcores we loved it for the casuals they had zero interest in the card zippity doodah and they still drew a 12 and a half million dollar gate they don't need to book jones versus francis they don't have to so i get it from that perspective uh will we get asphalt versus will asphalt fight before that yeah probably Probably fight Cyril gone. That'd probably be the fight that ends up happening. I mean, if they go to London before July, then Tom's going to probably headline that card. They'll, be, they'll do him and Cyril for the, for the interim belts, and we'll go from there. But I don't know. I'm curious to, to hear from John on this. Because Tom Aspinall is completely right, what he said in the MAR yesterday. There's just... Whatever buzz there was for John versus Stipe, and there wasn't a ton to begin with, uh, it's gone. Like, there is no buzz for that at all. Zero, zero buzz. Absolutely none. So, maybe they'll pivot. I doubt it. But, weird scenario. They should just pivot to the ass I'll fight, try to convince John to do it. Honestly, I think it would come down to money for John. Be like, if they called John right now and said, hey, we'll pay you $5 million more to fight Tom Aspinall over Stipe, you think he'd say no to that? I don't know. The UFC, look, one thing we've learned here, the UFC has a ton of money. They could, they could make a move like that. They could offer John $10 million more to fight Tom if they wanted to. Yeah, I'll say Aspinall fight's gone. In somewhere in the UK, 
sometime before the summer. Kurt, go ahead. Hey, Mike, can you hear me? Yep. Awesome, man. Uh, thank you for doing this show. Um, it's always a pleasure to listen, and thank you for making yourself available to speak to a bunch of us, uh, even though it's a smaller type of a crowd. I wanted to um, ask you about, you know, what is, I know that people have been asking what's next for Alex Pereira, and I just want to know, like, it kind of, it's, it's making me uncomfortable. People keep bringing up, bringing Israel back into the mix where I think that it's being forgotten and it's not being talked about or even ever being talked about of why he's taking a break. I mean, it's, I mean, I've seen, I've heard you kind of allude to it and other people, but it's, it's a PR thing. He lost a lot of fans, you know, that when he did that, that racial rant thing after the DDP fight, that was disgusting. And a lot of people were turned off by that. And, and then Sean kind of, Sean Strickland kind of was like the nail in the coffin with him when he brought out the things with the animated porn that Izzy watches and then the whole thing with the dog. And so the biggest story following Israel's defeat to Sean wasn't so much to me was, was the lack of support and fans that he had at that arena in Australia. Like that entire arena was behind Sean. And the, the question that wasn't asked was like, why? It was like, they turned on Izzy. And so I'm like, why don't we talk about that Israel needs to take an indefinite break out of the line? He needs to stop tweeting. He needs to just stay out of interviews and just be silent so that he can come back in maybe a year to just rebuild his brand and rebuild his image within the community. And so I just want to Uh, I think we lost you, Kurt. Um, but I got, I, I have the premise. I have the premise. I'm ready, ready to rock and roll with all this. Um, I look, I love the call out. It makes a lot of sense. Alex understands that there's no, I mean, that's, that's honestly the best fight for him in a lot of respects from a business sense because Jamal Hill ain't fighting anybody right now. Jamal is going to be out for at least another eight to nine months. So Alex understands that he has a ton of momentum right now. Alex also understands that him fighting Magomed Ankalaev ain't going to draw a dime, even with Alex being over as much as possible. So yeah, go get Izzy. Maybe they do it at UFC 300. Maybe that's the main event for 300. Who the, who the hell knows? Now there's John Kavanaugh said in the MA hour. Now they're talking about maybe doing him and Chandler in the summertime. Like that's a that's a lot of time to to milk here. But we need something to headline UFC 300. And look, if Izzy says no, I want to take more time. Then good on him. Good on him. I think honestly, people are just kind of done with Izzy. Like, not done, but they're just kind of sick of him. Like, the dude is fighting every three months. He was, as, he was as active as you could be. You didn't get a chance to even miss him. Because by the time, like, the dust settled from his previous fight, he was already, like, rebooked for his next one. So there was, like, you can't miss you if you don't leave. So if they do, like, September to April, 
Like that's something. That's at least some sort of a break. I would like to see him take a longer one, honestly, but Izzy's also not like the youngest guy in the world either. How old is Israel Adesanya? He's in his... How old is Izzy? He is 34. He'll be 35 in July. He ain't getting any younger, man. He ain't getting any younger. And I don't think this guy wants to fight forever. He's already got 27 MMA fights. He's got a ton of kickboxing fights. Dude's got mileage on him. And a lot of it. So... I don't know how long of a break he takes. But I, I thought the call-out was great. I, I thought the call-out was great. Made a lot of sense with where this division is right now. And the whole thing with Strickland and Izzy getting over and the fans turning on him. Izzy's not from Australia. He's from New Zealand. He, he fights out of New Zealand. City kickboxing is in New Zealand. And I know for a time, like when he fought Whitaker and all that, like there's obviously some fans there, but like people act like in a lot of respects, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but they think like Australia and New Zealand are the same place. They ain't. They're not the same place. They're not. There's like a budding rivalry between Australia and New Zealand as well in a lot of respects. So, and then Sean just somehow got over as a baby face. I don't know. I think. I think kind of anybody would have gotten over at that point against Izzy. I think people were just, I don't know. They just need a, a little breather from him because he ain't going to change. That's just who he is. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. But I kind of don't think he's going to fight in April, but maybe if they throw something big his way, they'll do it. Uh, simply Rob, go ahead. Hey, Mike, good to see you, brother. How's everything on your end? Good. What's going on, my man? I appreciate it, Mike. I just had a quick question for you. Uh, I heard Dana White, we were talking about the heavyweights. Dana White said that uh, he was uninterested in making the uh, event between Jones and Nganu, and he said, oh, you know, I'm not interested. We try to make that event, and I think it's interesting because people don't realize that he tried to make that event, but it wasn't beneficial for both parties. And I'm just wondering, uh, if there is no Jones versus Stipe and he doesn't want to do the Aspinall, do you think that there's an opportunity in a year now that he gets kind of pushed into a corner to do uh, – of co-promotion with uh, Nganu? No. No. The fight is never... I'm going to say it's never going to happen. But if there's something... Like a step below never going to happen, that's where we're at. Dana is, a, is as stubborn as they get. Uh, I am also very stubborn. So I get it. But in this sense, they're just... They're not going to do it. They're just not going to. And I love how all the blame on this was on the Francis side when it absolutely should not be on the Francis side. John's the one who took three years to fight and get up to heavyweight. They wanted to make this fight. They tried. They couldn't get both guys involved. John's tough to lock down. And then when Francis left, it turned into, well, let's bury this dude under a whole bunch of dirt on the way out. And they continued to do that. Uh, and now that Francis had the moment that he had against Tyson Fury. Like the UFC is never going to like, unless it's like a boxing thing, they are never going to co-promote somebody where their fighter is not the A side. And right now Francis is the A side and John is the B side. And the UFC wants nothing to do with that. 
and they don't want to risk building that Francis powerhouse after Francis said, fuck you, UFC. I'm out of here. I'm doing this on my own. And they could sit there and tell you to the red in the face, we released him. We didn't want him. Bullshit. Francis said, fuck you. I'm out of here. That's what he did. And look at him now. He showed that you can have success outside of the UFC. And the UFC certainly is going to build upon that. Now, as I said before, they don't have to. They don't need to make this fight. And they will do just fine. This helps the PFL way more than it helps them. And they're not in the business of helping PFL, nor should they. And if they never book this fight, it is not going to cost them a damn cent because they will find something else. They could book anything at this point, and it'll make money. Again, they just did a $12.5 million gate at Madison Square Garden without a single star on the lineup, like a casual appeal superstar on the lineup. And they did a $12.5 million gate at Madison Square Garden without a superstar. It don't matter. They are going to make money. They don't need to make the fight. They're winning. It sucks. There's literally nothing standing in the way except for the UFC. And Dana's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. We're not going to see it, my friends. There's, there's a saying in the world, never say never. I'm going to say probably say never. Probably say never with this one. I would be, I would literally be shocked if this fight ever happens. And it hurts my soul, but that's where we're at. Uh, Brian, go ahead. Long time no speak. Yes, what's going on? All right, so I got a question. We know that uh, John Jones is like terrified of Tom Aspinall, obviously. So <laughs> I love this so much. So what, what happens? I mean, if Tom, say, defends interim title next year in London, like you were saying, like, does that go on his record for a title defense? Because, I mean, I think he could beat the heavyweight title defense record, and I feel like interim title defenses wouldn't count, but I don't know. I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that. Thanks. I mean, it should count as a title. It should count as an official title defense. It is a championship. So, I mean, we saw Hennon Brow defend the, the interim Bantamweight title for a hot minute, so... Yeah, I would say it counts towards towards records of, of in some respects. It should. We also have to understand that this is something my best friend AK says all the time, and it's it, it's true. Belts are these belts; they're props. They are props in a lot in a lot of ways. So the UFC could do this however they want. If he goes out there and gets a couple title defenses before Jones does, he could be like, "Hey, John, I got more title defenses than you do." So, yeah, I think he's going to just fight Cyril Gone. John will fight Stipe. And if John says, hey, I'm out of here, then John will get stripped and Tom will become the actual champion. He'll just get – he'll graduate to the Undisputed Championship. But I love how a lot of you are, are heeding the advice of Jed Mishu and just saying, hey, let's just all come together and say that John Jones is scared of Tom Aspinall and maybe we will test his ego enough for him to be like, y'all think I'm scared? Watch this shit. Boom. We all know that's not true, but I think if we all collectively put it put put it in that position, as Jed said, you know, maybe we'll entice him. I don't know. 
Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Uh, Cole, go ahead. John, you scared, homie. You scared. You keep running from Tom. But uh, I just got a couple things to say about the broadcast. I agree with you that moment before the main event when they let that face-off kind of breathe before they went into the intros was just chef's kiss. However, if the UFC, just one thing they don't do well is if they're going to continue to have these interim title fights and just weird kind of division situations, they have to like do a better job at informing the casuals watching about how we got to this point. Like, I'm watching this with friends, and they're like, who the fuck? So what What does this belt mean? That guy had a belt, too? Like, what? So he, he won it, and he lost it, and so did that guy. Well, who's this Jamal Hill? It's just like, they need to do a way better job at prefacing where we're at in each division or before the, the, each title fight happens or something. Another thing I got to say is Rogan. Like, what are you doing with the Andrade interview? Like. She's one of the greatest women in our sports history, and the main storyline of this fight is really going to be her divorce? Like, come on. Really? That's, that's what we're ending the interview with, and that's what we're talking about? Okay. That's, that's, that's cool. But yeah, my friend texted me. He said, Andrade should be a rich woman in the UFC based on what she's done. The UFC should have made her rich by now. So just want your thoughts on that, the broadcast and all. Thanks. Uh, thank you. I mean, look, the light heavyweight has been a mess and we just did something heading into the fight about, you know, whether or not this main event was going to start the cycle of normalcy in this division. And if I felt like it took 10 minutes to actually write out how we got here. So I think they, they could be like, hey, we used the countdown show and built this up and told the story and yada, yada, yada. But it's just a lot to talk about on the broadcast without just losing people. So, But I do understand what you're saying there. Rogan had a tough night. Uh, I, I will say once the watch party starts, can I hear some of the commentary in my ear? Yes. Uh, is it very loud? No. So I know what's happening somewhat, but I'm not really paying attention to it. But I did watch, obviously, the prelims, and yeah, man, he's uh, he's he could be tough. When him and DC are on one, and like Anik feels that they are really good together. But when Rogan's like unprepared, and he is unprepared, he's unprepared more than more often than not. Uh, it's tough, and it it's kind of contagious in a lot of respects. So. Rogan doesn't really know who a lot of these prelim fighters are. Knows some about him because he reads what other websites are saying because you can tell by some of the things he says. But, yeah, he, he wasn't great from what I could hear. 
Uh, I did hear the Andrade interview, and I thought that was kind of weird. So, but yeah, Rogan ain't going anywhere. As long as Dana's part of the company, Joe's going to be around. And to his credit, it, the fights, the events, they feel bigger when Joe's part of it. It's just, it's just true. Whether you love his commentary or not, the event just feels bigger when Joe is there. But yeah, he was not. He was not great on Saturday. Uh, all right, so I'm running out of time here, but I see four people lined up, so let's rapid fire these. Uh, as well, what's up, ahead. man? How you doing? Good. Yeah. So, um, just two questions for me. Um, firstly. Uh, congrats to Benoit. Um, I was really impressed with his win, and I had him winning on my um, own personal uh, betting. Um, I'm just really curious to see what's next for him because right now, the lightweight division to me is a bit. I just feels a bit like um, in a limbo. You know, as much as a lot of rankings have been changing all over the place, I just can't think of what's the best fight for him to make. I mean, Fizyev is out for probably a whole year he could do gamera i mean he, uh, that's definitely a good fight and i think that's the best fight the ufc can make right now for gamera and benoit but if not that do you think he could get the winner of bobby green versus dan hooker because i could see that happening i think that'd be a really good fight and um i also think they need to remove rda from the rankings because it doesn't make sense the guy's never going to find that weight class possibly ever again so might as well take him off the rankings put maybe Grant Dawson or Matt Frivola back in the rankings, you know, it makes sense. The other thing I want to talk about is Aljamain Sterling. I'm, I'm sure you probably saw his interview today. He was talking about how he got offered three fights in the featherweight division. One of them was Calvin Cater. You know, he needs to, um, I love Aljamain, but I, he needs to start with his buddy-buddy shit, man. Like, you're a competitor, you're a fighter. You need to take the best possible fight that can put you in the title shot immediately if he wants to find the featherweight class that is. Because I don't, right now, I can't, I can't imagine or see a picture for him trying to fight again for the title shot, whether it's a bantamweight or featherweight. The only shot he has at bantamweight is if Chiro Vera puts the upset against Sean O'Malley. Because then I can see that possibly happening, you know. And I can't see them putting Marab at the front of the title unless he beats Ahuro and the UC has to as a standard of, um, precaution and you know integrity for the sport you know because i could see henry Cejudo fighting sean o'malley if sean o'malley was to win and henry wins against marab you know i feel aljermaine is really stuck right now because even the featherweight it's kind of hard i think he has a good chance but obviously the stylistic matchups for those fights are not easy whether he fights yari rodriguez you know brian ortega but it could put him over the hump and line ahead of a say Arnold, Allen, or Mavza, you know, in my opinion. I'm just curious to you know, uh, get your thoughts on that, man. Have a great day. Thank you. Uh, Sunsidy is an animal. I called that one. Didn't think he'd get kicked kick for Vol in the face in like two minutes, but yeah, it's he, dude is going to be tough to beat. And they're going to have a, a pretty difficult time matching him up. And I think the UFC knows that. I love the the post fight interview. Uh, not gonna happen. The Gamrot call out potentially, but if I'm Gamrot, fuck that. I ain't touching that fight right now. Like no way. He was the freaking backup fighter for the title fight 
a month ago. He's not going to fight Benoit Saint-Denis, who's, I think, he ranked number 11 in the UFC rankings right now. So, yeah, he ain't doing that shit. No friggin' way. And I don't blame him for that. I don't blame him for that. Um, it's the Hooker Green winner. That's the answer. That's who he's going to fight. I see a lot of people saying Jalen Turner, and yeah, that's fun. Santini is ahead of Jalen Turner right now. Jalen's coming off of a loss. Um, and I think they have something with this guy. Like, even more than Jalen in a lot of respects. So you could do that fight, but is Jalen going to be able to even make the lightweight limit anymore? Like, he's getting older. That dude is a monster. Like, getting down to 155 is not easy. So I wonder if Jalen is just going to go to 170. So I don't – honestly, I, like, it's a fine fight. If they make it, I'm not going to complain about it. But we know for a fact that either Dan Hooker or Bobby Green are going to say yes to fighting this guy. And they could probably do a main event, whether it's at the Apex or if they go back to Paris sooner rather than later. Hooker or Green versus Benoit Santini could be the main event of UFC Paris. So – can't wait to see what, what's next for him. I could definitely see a world where he fights for a belt. I don't think it'll be this year. I don't, like, I don't think it's going to be 2024. Maybe the end of 2025. It's going to be a long road for him because I think he's going to have a hard time getting fights. But, yeah, I think the timing of this one was perfect, especially heading into the Dan Hooker-Bobby Green fight. He can get the winner. Love it. Absolutely love it. Yes, I saw the Sterling thing. Mentioning some names and Calvin Cater being one of them. Uh, yeah, dude, his Bantamweight days are over. And he should have just acknowledged that right off the bat. Because he ain't fighting Sean O'Malley. Like, that fight is... A rematch with Sean O'Malley only happens if Aljamain Sterling wins the featherweight title and Sean's still the Bantamweight champion. Only way that fight ever, 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 ever happens. So, instead of being like, well... You know, maybe I'll get the rematch. No, you have no chance at the rematch. Sean O'Malley will never fight you again unless you have the belt at 145 because he doesn't see the need to fighting you. He's already beat you. He already knocked you out. He will not do it again. That's why he smartly said, Cheeto, let's go. Sean calls the shots in that division right now. He's the friggin' man. But I also believe that's why he has so much riding on this fight with Cheeto. It's very difficult to say that a guy with star potential like this is in a must-win situation, but I got to tell you, out of all the six title competitors who are getting ready to fight in 2024, I think Sean O'Malley has the most to lose, and that includes Alexander Volkanovsky. Sean has to be Cheeto. If he wants to box, if he wants to become a megastar, he's got to beat Cheeto. The win over Sterling is great. It's a great start, but it ain't everything. It's always about the first title defense. always about the next one. He goes out there and he knocks out Marlon Vera. He is on a rocket ship. And if he loses, yes, he will still be successful. Yes, he will still make money in the sport. But Gervonta Davis and all the boxing ideas, all of that stuff goes away. It's gone. And it's never coming back. So the difference between... A star and a fucking superstar rides on whether or not he beats Cheeto Vera. And then from there, you can go box and do whatever. As far as, yeah, I like the Sterling Cater fight. I think it's a good start. Um, 
tough fight for him. A guy who can because Cater can wrestle, and he's clearly a better striker. Uh, he's got pretty good wrestling de- takedown defense. Like that's actually a pretty interesting stylistic matchup. And if Sterling beats a guy like Cater, you throw him in there with Holloway, and if you go and beat Holloway, then you get a title shot. Like it's not a bad road. It's a lo- It's a shorter road at forty five getting to a title shot than it is at one thirty five. So. At least that's what I think right now. So it'll be interesting to see. But Sean O'Malley's never fighting Marab. That fight's never going to happen, by the way. Like, if Sean goes and beats Cheeto, he's just either, either going to go box or he's going to go fight somebody else. He's not going to fight Marab. I can see it. I, I see a world where an interim title could come into play at 135 in 2024. But, yeah, Sean's going to do the prize fighter thing, and he should. He should. Uh, so we'll go Mikey, Nicholas, and Emilio. If we have a second, we'll go to one more. But uh, we really got to get going here. Mikey, go ahead. What's up, Mikey, man? Sorry, sorry it, it took too long, so it just abbreviated what I was going to say. But anyways, um, just get off – just first off the bat, it regardless of which way you stand on the stoppage between Yuri and Alex – the key word has to be that it's it was a fair stoppage. If it, it lasted a couple of more seconds and then he stopped them, it, that's fine. But people pretending like the bad the, the stoppage was genuinely bad, I think, are being disingenuous. Uh, and I'll expand upon that later at a later date. Um, as for what's next for Yuri, it may not make sense for his ranking, but sometimes you know if you basically fought and beaten everybody else at the top five, time to kind of like you know give somebody below you a bit. I would like to see him fight uh, Krilov because. Yes, because chaos. And two, uh, just to be- piggyback off what Four Corner Sports said earlier, listen, I understand fans can have standards and all that stuff. I understand if like the appeal of the card overall didn't look great. But as a sports romantic, like you and I are both fans of other sports. If you can't get up to go see a card at Madison Square Garden because it's Madison Square Garden, then I think sometimes... I think MMA fans sometimes lose perspective. They want, listen, I, I get you want a great card. I get you want the best possible card. But I think sometimes people got so weary with the apex and all this stuff that you got to understand that when the UFC does go on the road, take into account where they're going. They go to Madison Square Garden once a year, and it's Madison Square Garden. I feel like just as a destination, like if you're a fight fan, go to Madison Square Garden. Listen, I, I've been fortunate living here in Vegas. I've, I've seen hockey and hockey and wrestling and UFC fights at T-Mobile Arena, and that place never gets old to me. You know what I mean? So, anyways, that'll be all. Be kind of another. Have a great fight, we guys. Yeah. And that's why, like, look, we, we even talked about it on our preview shows and stuff of that nature. Like, this isn't for the casual fan. Like, 295 was for us. This was our card. This is for the hardcores. But I also understand from a a different perspective that – Compared to a lot of the other MSG lineups, this was not great. Like, there are certain events that fans expect more from, from a lineup perspective. And while we love 295 for what it was, and the UFC did a great job getting us Aspinall Pavlovich on short notice and making that work, compared to 281 and 205 and 268 and some of these other MSG cards, this on paper was not very good compared to those. And it didn't matter 
because they still did almost a $13 million gate at MSG. Like I said, this was for us. That was our card. And would this card been as good with John on it? On paper, for the hardcores, probably not. But it would have done better business for the UFC. It would have done more pay buys. There would have been more buzz. There was very little buzz for this card all week. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. So that's why we continuously said, like, this one is for us. This is the card that we want. But in terms of getting the casual audience involved, this did nothing for that. It really didn't. John Jones, Stipe, everything would have been bigger, but it made, we may not have, been, have enjoyed it as much as, as much as we did. So it's okay to want more. It's okay to want more, especially for the MSG cards. There's majors. There's like International Fight Week. There's the December card. There's MSG. And then maybe you throw in like one of the March cards. Like those are the four events that are like, okay, we know that when we get to that, to those events, that these cards are going to be fucking loaded, stacked to the gills. And I, you could probably throw Abu Dhabi in there as well. So maybe there's five, four or five. Like we know we are going to get a stacked card. We haven't really gotten a ton of that this year. Like 285 was pretty stacked. Jones's return. We got Jones and gone. We got Shevchenko and Grasso. We got Shafkat and Jeff Neal. Like we got a pretty damn 296 is a friggin' banger. Like that is a great card. But I mean, top to bottom, 295, even compared to 281, it wasn't the same, man. Like it just wasn't the same. Like we got Dustin Poirier. Michael Chandler as the featured bout last year. Didn't get that here. So I can understand some of the frustrations from that. But, yeah. I loved it. I was all in on it. It was the best. And it was a, a breezy watch. I don't know if you can get much better than that. All right, we'll take two more real, real quick. In and out. Nicholas, go ahead. Not much. What's up? Uh, I just have two two questions. Uh, first of all, it's pronounced Benoit, just to get that out there. And uh, yep, Benoit Saturday, Yep. Why is Jamal Hill so unlikable? I mean, I don't get that man's sense of humor. Uh, what what's his deal, seriously? And uh, will there be a watch along party on the big card now on Saturday? And I hope Amanda Hibas has a strong back. Uh, will we do a watch party on Saturday? God, no. That's a tough hang. Tough hang, this one. Uh, next watch party will be December 16th for uh, UFC 296. Very excited for that. Uh, we rarely do the watch parties outside of the pay-per-views, but you know we did it for Ngano Fury because it's a big card and not a lot of people wanted to spend $80 on it, which is like the big purpose of it. But outside of like just the weird boxing fights that get some traction but nobody wants to buy um watch parties will just do the way we normally do it jamal hill i don't know man i look i like jamal hill um he's a pretty intense guy i don't love the whole youtube persona if i'm being honest this whole hey ariel said something i don't like so let's just do a whole video about it and that whole thing. Like it's, we know, we know what it is, honestly, at this point, like we know what it is. And 
Jamal's just the dude. Like, he's just who he is. He's not going to change for anybody. That's just the kind of guy he is. He is a little bit unlikable. Um, I like him. He is not happy with the MMA Fighting Global Rankings panel because we have ranked him number five, yet we've ranked him number five since he won the belt because we still have questions. I understand winning the, a UFC title is great. Like, it is a great accomplishment. But the way he won it on short notice against 41-year-old Glover Teixeira, who is going to retire, was great. And we we're excited about Jamal Hill after that. But it's not... It's, you can't confidently come out of that fight and be like, that's the best light heavyweight in the planet right now. It just You just can't feel that way. Now, that's why we all said, like, the next title defense is the best one. Next fight is the most important fight. You go in there, you beat Yuri, you beat Alex. You're the dude. You're the number one guy with the bullet. But, like, let's just look at our rankings right now. Let's just let's just pull him up. And again, I like Jamal Hill. I'm not trying to start shit. Let's pull up. Let's pull up our rankings and see where we have Jamal Hill. Rankings shake up. Boom. There we go. Let's pull this up. Do, do, do. Light heavyweight. Pereira one. Prahashka two. Vadim Nemkov three. Ankalaya four. Jamal Hill five. I think that's pretty fair, right there. I think those are pretty fair rankings. Who would you favor, Jamal Hill versus Alex Pereira? Favor, I would favor Alex Pereira right now. Who would you favor, Jamal Hill versus Yuri Prohashka? I'd favor Yuri Prohashka right now. Could and I'm I'm only saying this just from like what I think the betting lines would look like uh, and stylistically. Vadim Nemkov, I, I I honestly would be very confident picking Vadim Nemkov against Jamal Hill. I would very confidently pick up Magomed Ankalaev against Jamal Hill as well. Um, no disrespect to Jamal, I think. Honestly, Nemkov and Ankalaev are probably the two best 205ers on the planet right now. They're not superstars. They're not going to get huge opportunities. But skill for skill, style for style, those are probably one and two. Like Ankalaev is probably the best light heavyweight on the planet. He's just not fun. And that's going to just delay things. And there, we are eventually going to live in a world, ladies and gentlemen, where – Magomed Ankalaev is the light heavyweight champion, and it ain't going to be the most fun world to live in. But we are going to live in that world and probably going to live in it for quite some time once he actually gets there. But, yeah, I think Jamal at five right now is, is a pretty fair place to have him. But I remember when we first posted that after Alex Pereira beat Jan Bohovic, and he, of course, he... Had comments about it. He was all pissed off about it. But let's just like take again. Like he's he knocked out Ovin St. Prue, which everybody knocks out Ovin St. Prue these days. Lost to Paul Craig. That fight was not even all that competitive. Jimmy Crudy knocked him out. Knocked out Johnny Walker. Beat up Tiago. Knocked out Tiago Santos, but he was losing that fight before that happened. And then he beat Glover in a great performance. So, like, the best win he has on the resume, and that includes Glover, is probably Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker is probably his best win. And right now, Johnny Walker is ranked number eight. 
like I think five is more than fair for Jamal Hill. I think it's more than fair. And I think he would be more likable to a lot of people if like he was just like, yeah, I get it, man. I get it. I got to win another fight. But he's that close. He's literally a win away from being number one. And then he went out and got hurt, and that happens. It's tough. Timing is terrible. Timing is terrible because he would have been in that fight with Pereira probably or Prahashka. I don't know. But we'll see how next year's going to be very interesting for Jamal Hill. We'll see. Uh, Emilio, real quick, uh, and then we got to go. Hi, Mike. Uh, so I got a question regarding Leon Edwards' latest statements. I know this is not exactly related. Oh, yeah, here we go. Golly. Yeah, can can you imagine the, the, the balls on this guy to call for a champ, 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 champ status go, uh, going up to middleweight when so far he's only defended his belt against Kamaru once? And he goes on to say that there are no exciting, there are no interesting matchups for him in the welterweight division. That there's nobody there. I mean, I can't remember like word for word exactly what he said, but it was just one of those. What? It's like, do you die a hero or do you live long enough to see yourself become the villain? I mean, it's just, I can't believe it. Just, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Holy Christ. I'm out of here, Mike. Have a good one. So this is a safe space. Uh, I like to be honest with all of you guys. I like to tell the truth and give you my honest opinions on things. Let me tell you what my two emotional reactions were to this. The first thing was immediately, oh, cut the shit. Like, cut the shit. We're finally in a position where we can, at least for the most part, feel like we have some divisional sanity Like, Volkanovsky is about to go fight featherweights, and Islam's about to go fight lightweights, and that those are, like, really the only times, like, the only divisions where we even have this conversation right now. Like, everybody feels like they can go up and down and all that stuff. But, like, Purr is not going back to 185. He's not going up to heavyweight. Like, we're going to just fight dudes in our own division. And then he calls out Izzy, and I'm just like, I kind of get it. I don't love it, but I get it. Because there's nobody else that's like a fun fight for him outside of Jamal Hill. And Jamal Hill is not fighting anybody right now. So I get it. Maybe you set yourself up for a big day, payday at UFC 300. Totally cool. This, I was like, cut the shit. This is terrible. Uh, but then I have to say, and I feel bad for saying this into a live microphone right now. I kind of laughed a little bit because I'm just like, man. Bilal Muhammad's like never getting a title shot. <laughs> or like maybe this is the best thing for Bilal is that Leon leaves the division and they have to do like an interim belt or like a vacant title situation. And then like Bilal has to be in there, right? So I kind of was just like, man, Bilal cannot catch a freaking break because Leon winning at 296 is like – Leon winning and then calling Bilal out is like his best – is like Bilal's best chance of getting – a title shot or if like something happened with Colby and he gets dinged up and like they have to bring somebody in short notice, like Bilal's going to get the call and he'll say yes. But then like, other than that, it's just like, man, I, like, I don't know what Bilal's going to have to do to get a title shot or fight anybody. That's like really interesting right now. Cause even if you do like a vacant title fight or an interim title fight at 170, like who's Bilal going to fight? 
Like, who is interested? Like, is he going to fight Shafkat for the interim title if he beats Wonderboy? Like, what is going to happen here? And this whole notion that, like, there's no challenge for me at 170 is just not true, and it's insane. It's insane to say that. But I don't know what to think. I don't know what to think about any of this. But my, my first thought was just like, please no. And then my second thought was like, man, like, what did Bilal Muhammad do to the UFC? Why is he just never going to get a title shot? Like a straight-up title shot. He's going to have to get it. Like, we could be living in a world where Bilal Muhammad's first UFC title fight is for an interim belt for literally no reason. Because it's – you go up for a second belt if you've cleaned out your division or at least have come close or you're like the number one ranked dude in the world. And Leon is none of those things, and he hasn't cleaned out anything. So he's got guys coming too. Like he's got Ian Gary on the way. He's got Shafkot. He's got Wonderboy if he beats Shafkot. Like there's a lot of interesting fights for him. And then at 185, there's like too many contenders right now. There's Hamzat. There's Izzy whenever he's ready to come back. We have guys like Ikram Alaskarov on the way out. Paul Costa is still around. Like middleweight is middleweight's actually like really fun right now. Like it's a really fun division with a lot of options. Welterweight, I don't know. It's just weird. We like I want this Leon Colby fight to happen so badly. I I need this fight to happen because I this division has literally done nothing this year. It's done nothing. We've had very few, like, big fights. We've had, I feel like we've had no movement at all in this division. And it's incredibly frustrating. But, like, look at poor Bilal. Just goes in there and saves saves the day, gets a co-main event with Gilbert Burns, and nobody cared then, and fewer people care now that he won that fight. It's wild. Yeah. I don't know. All right, I got to go. Uh, a lot coming up. We're going to record our ranking show later on today. And then we'll just have our normal stuff. MAR tomorrow. We'll BTL on Thursday. Get you ready for UFC Vegas 82 throughout the week as well. And then we're going to get like a rare week off from the UFC because it's Thanksgiving. But the PFL is like, hey, every- we're not going to take a weekend off. We're going we're gonna to give you a pay-per-view on Thanksgiving week because that's how they roll. And then... Fun little stretch. We got UFC Austin. That card is incredible. On December 2nd, they're Shanghai, and then cap off the year with 296. So this should be a fun little stretch for the world of combat sports, for the world of MMA, and for all of us. So thank you all very much. You are all the best. We'll be back here on Thursday around 10 a.m. Eastern. We'll do it again. But until then, everybody, have a great rest of your Tuesday, and have a heck of a morning, everybody. Media Podcast Network.
The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.